0: See, now I'm sounding very creepy, which this like a very like thrillery sort of obsessive kind of way, which is very on theme for this book. Kendall, I miss you. Well, hello, that pretentious book club. Uh, What to say, what to say... This is going to be potentially the most unique episode that we've ever had to date. Uh, Unique in a good way or bad way remains to be seen. I really guess that's up to you guys. I guess we'll see the reviews pouring in uh, more like trickling, especially because of this reason I'm going to tell you guys right now, which is that I am recording this episode by myself for the first time ever. Don't worry, Kendall is just fine, aka Dr. Spoons Palermo, who I usually host with. I'm Ash O'Rourke, by the way, aka Weezy. So the reason I'm recording by myself is because Kendall is the genius that she is, is in graduate school on top of like having multiple jobs and of course being a writer herself. So super crazy busy this week for her. So she's focusing on finals this week. She only has a couple more rounds of those. So, you know, guys, think of her, encourage her good vibes and prayers only for Spoons and her finals, Uh, but only a couple more times for her and then she gets to be done. I'm so glad that I don't have to take any finals anymore at all. Oh, I should have said already, but if you guys don't like to listen to Chatter Chatter, even though there will be much less of our chatter today because it is just me and I can only chatter away to myself for so long, at least on the microphone and things that are appropriate to say on a podcast, I definitely talk to myself for hours outside of that. This is not sounding very good for me. Anyways, if you want to skip all of this, I can't imagine why you would, uh, because I am delightful, even without spoons. Uh, you guys can go down to our show notes. It's underneath every single episode and it says skippers or it says skip to or something and it gives you guys this time code. That is the time code you can skip to if you want to only hear us talk about book stuff. We've recently gotten some feedback from just a couple people. Most of you guys love The Nonsense and oh my god, we love you guys so much for loving The Nonsense. It is just, you guys are so wonderful. By the way, we've gotten some just so sweet, amazing, touching reviews from you guys lately and I am just, thank you guys so much. I like teared up with the last one that I read, so thank you. I'm just so good to know that you guys like what we're doing and this is not just like this huge waste of time into our weeks and that someone else is enjoying this too and it's nice to think that maybe we're you know accompanying you wherever you're going on your car ride or commute or whatever um, or grocery shopping with your earbuds in because you don't want to talk to people in the store am I the only one who does that anyways thank you guys so much for the sweet reviews but if you are some of the people who were like "Mm, I just don't want to hear the nonsense I just want to hear about the book go to the time code put in the time code it is there for every single episode it has been there from the start we just were not good about telling you guys but it's there go check it out you can use it and go ahead and skip ahead if you don't want to hear. listen to my chatter Anyways, this is typically around the time in the episode where I'd be like, so Spoons, how was your week? And then she'd be, she would tell me like a funny story. And then she'd be like, so Ash, how was your week? And I would be like, literally same old, same old, which is exactly what I'm about to give you guys the deets on now, which is that, um while I've been doing stuff around the farm. I feel like that's pretty much been my updates for you guys for the last several episodes, because if you're new here, my husband and I and my mom, actually, we bought a house with a couple acres. I say a couple. It's more than a couple. It's not huge. But anyways, so we have some acreage, which is wonderful. I've been wanting to get back out to the country. I used to live on a little farm in Oregon, and we had chickens, and we had ducks, and we had dairy goats, and we had a garden. It was just wonderful, despite some other very stressful life stuff that happened around there. But Overall, I just cannot wait to get back to the farm life, and I'm so, so lucky that my mom and my husband also both wanted to do that with me. So we found this wonderful property. It's been amazing. Of course, for it to be in our price range means it is a fixer-upper in a lot of ways. So we've been fixer uppering uh, pretty constantly on top of, of course, I have my own job and we've got the pod. Actually, multiple pods. You should go check out the Scripturian Society, which is a podcast for writers that I co-host with Carissa Harlow. It is another production from Story Siren Studio, so you guys go check it out if that sounds interesting to you. But basically I decided I wanted to spend this week working on the walls inside the house and this is going to sound very very silly to anybody who knows that our plans for this house are is to knock it down in the next few years and build like a barn dominium type thing ourselves um just because the house is so old it's wonderful and charming but it's just so old that to fix it up the way it would need to be fixed up to last another 50 years would be it would cost the same amount as building what we want so anyways We've definitely had some raised eyebrows and criticism from people being like, why are you bothering to fix up this house when you know that you are going to knock it down? Well, it's because we want it to look nice and feel nice while we're living in it. And if we need to wait longer to, you know, build our barn dominium, we would like to not feel like we need to rush to get out of this house because it's falling down and we don't, you know, it just feels like gross and old inside. Um, Which, I mean, it's really not. It's It's a nice house. It's just old. So, anyways, so basically that just means the painting the walls, which I also like to paint, so you know what? Not really a problem. So, what does it people say to haters? Haters haters gonna hate. Can you guys tell that I have like no connection with pop culture whatsoever, even long before I lived on the farm? <laughs> anyways, um God, is that all there is to my life without Spoons? I wonder what Spoons is doing right now. Spoons, if you if you listen if you listen back to this in the future, what are you doing at 5 16 p.m. on Saturday, April 30th, 2022? I want to know. Can you show me? Okay, I won't do that right now. I guess another pseudo update for you guys, because I think I told you guys that we got some baby chicks, some baby chickens, and they're healthy, they're happy, they're getting so big so fast, it's crazy, and so now we are also in the process of getting the big coop ready, which means a lot of work. We probably have like maybe like a month maybe a month and a half tops before it's gonna have to be ready for the chicks so and i am currently sitting here in our i was gonna call it our recording studio which is very generous our office slash game room slash recording studio and i am still covered in paint or really primer from priming the walls which have you guys ever tried to paint on vinyl like walls let me tell you you have to get this insane primer this like adhesive primer to put down first so that the paint will actually stick and it does not come off of anything So if you guys need recommendations for that, just DM us. I can give you all the recs. But oh my God, it's been, I've had some stuck to my arm for close to a week now. And I do shower, you guys, sometimes. I'm just kidding. I I shower daily. But now it's all over my fingers and my hands. And I'm hoping that that'll wear off sooner than the one on my arm did. Doesn't matter. No one's going to see me. Am I boring, you guys? I'm sorry if I am. Kendall, I'm so sorry if I am losing all of our listeners one by one. They are just dropping away uninterested. (sighs) Oh. It's okay. I bought chocolate chip cookie dough today. So I will just soothe my soul with that this evening. And oh, you guys have been playing um, Horizon Zero Dawn. And my husband has been playing the uh, like the second one the hit the Forbidden West one. So that's exciting. So I'm excited to maybe play some of that later tonight, too. This has been like the first day where I have had time to do anything outside of just work or keeping things alive basically um I mean I still did you know like we went to we went to town uh we went to the Walmart it's actually a very very big very nice Walmart and it was actually super super fun and I got a bunch of stuff that we needed so that was a good time very off the rails is this what it's like is this what I'm like without spoons oh my god it's okay I have chocolate chip cookie dough I'm going to soothe myself with later. Anyways, so this week's book is The Woman in the Window by A.J. Finn. And usually for our contemporary books, again, if you're new here, we usually do a contemporary book one week and then the next week we will read a classic. And that is largely because my brain simply cannot understand classics. Um, If you've been here, you may have noticed that Kendall is really the one with that, like, elevated intelligence who really grasps the classical authors and what they're trying to communicate. Okay. Whereas I am more like, I would like some more explosions, please. Is anyone making out in a closet? And that's more my vibe. Although I do think that Kendall likes a good making out in the closet. Because let's be honest, who doesn't? Don't lie. You know you do. I also like the love triangles. Okay, I'm getting off topic. Anyways, I clearly am really into more contemporary style fiction. But anyways, uh, it's good for me that I have spoons in my life because she brings the classics into my world in a way that I can understand and in fact laugh about. And we often butcher the classics, I would say, because we are so busy trying to have a good time. And I say butcher with really like air quotes, I think that we make it accessible. We were not the target audience at then. that's a whole other spiel that I won't go into right now. But if you guys want to talk about my opinion on classics, we certainly can. Kendall is going to hear this and be like, Ash, I can never leave you alone again. We want people to listen to our classics. So anyways, we do a contemporary book one week, classics the next. And usually I do the author bio for the classics because I can do that. I'm great at research. And Spoons usually does the author bio for the contemporary books. So right off the bat, and this might be horribly sexist of me, I thought that AJ Finn was a woman. I think not because of the writing style specifically, but because... The main character is a woman and it's a first person book. And I, so I just automatically assume, of course, that the main character and the author are very similar because when I write, that tends to be the case. I tend to connect very hardcore with my um, like chick characters and all of my main characters and first persons are usually chicks. So that's why I made that assumption. Maybe not that great. Uh, but I will give you guys this fun tidbit right away. AJ Finn is actually a pseudonym for Daniel Mallory who has written for numerous publications. He was really, uh, so he wrote for the Los Angeles Times, Washington Post, Times Literary Supplement in the UK. Um, he's a native of New York, but he lived in England for 10 years, which is honestly not surprising at all. The way that I read this, the narration, I, a couple times I kept thinking, wait, are we in England? Um, so I feel like you can definitely get some of the color of that time that he spent there in this book. But anyways, so he's, you know, more, um, journalistic, it seems like, in a lot of his experience, which is interesting for a fiction writer. I think that a lot of us kind of bounce back and forth, so that's fun to see. Also interesting is that while he was living in England for those 10 years, he was a book editor, so gotta love that. Seriously, gotta love that job and also relate. I'm wondering what kind of editing he did, because if you guys don't know, I was also an editor for a hot minute there, Uh, and it was actually a ton of fun, and if I could do it full-time, I would love to do it full-time, but that is just not in the cards for me right now. And this is not about me. This is about A.J. Finn. Daniel Mallory, aka A.J. Finn, was born January 2nd, 1979. So let's see, that makes him a Capricorn. Heck yeah, good for you. I'm pretty sure Capricorn, guys, correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, so The Woman in the Window was published in 2018. Uh, It was the number one on the New York Times bestseller list and has been adapted into a feature film, which I actually just watched the trailer for the other day. And I'm actually gonna say the trailer gives away, I feel like, almost all of the plot of the book. It does not give away the big twist, but I felt like it gave away a lot of the plot. But it also looks like a really good movie, so I'm going to watch it. Spoons may come at next episode because I believe she has seen that movie. So I bet I'm, I'm wondering what she was thinking when she was reading this book, like how it compared. I will say there's a little bit of controversy about Daniel Mallory as a figure in the literary world. I don't want to engage in any kind of slander here because I did not do this research firsthand. This is all from Wikipedia, but there are sources on here. So you guys are welcome to go check this out and decide for yourselves. But I will just relay at least the allegations that I'm seeing, which are that allegedly Daniel basically uh, spoke some untruths about himself and his family and certain family members being very ill or being dead or himself being very ill and basically kind of used it to win sympathy or to garner sympathy rather and to improve and increase his literary career. So, this is just an allegation that I'm reading off of Wikipedia. There are some sources. So you guys are definitely welcome to go check it out. I know I'm going to check it out more after this. But for now, I'm just giving you guys the brief Wikipedia rundown. Um, I actually think probably more concerningly, at least from like the perspective of like a literary professional, uh, because I think that people tell untruths and lies and little fibs all the time to make themselves look better. I actually don't think that's that shocking. I think that if he did that, the reason that it's noted here is because, you know, they were first of all, they sound like they were pretty big, lies, but also because he's in the spotlight. So that in itself is not that shocking or surprising to me. Uh, There is something about him potentially allegedly having lied about having a doctorate, which might be illegal. I don't know. Uh, But it's definitely not a good move regardless. But all of that aside, there has been some criticism, and you can definitely look into this, that um, potentially the woman in the window kind of stepped on the toes of some other copyrights. So from a 1995 thriller film called Copycat, Uh, so some people feel that he drew super heavily from that movie. And this is only 1995. This is not like an old black and white movie, which is just kind of where my brain first went to. Because if you did, if you have read this book, the main character is kind of obsessed with watching these old black and white thrillers. Uh, but Copycat came out in 1995. And so basically people were mad that, that Mallory, aka AJ Finn, didn't attribute the, all of the content in this book that was so very heavily Seem to be directly from that movie he didn't attribute it in any way to the to that movie so uh that's one thing but also <laughs> i think this is potentially a little more interesting and i'm wondering like if there was any kind of legal repercussion for this and maybe i want to do some more research into this for the heck of the drama uh even though i'm not usually very into that but this is curious because basically uh it's been questioned this book based on some substantial similarities allegedly, with Sarah A. Denzel's Saving April, which is a book that came out in 2016, that apparently the final twist is nearly identical in. However, one of the biggest problems with proving cases like he stole my intellectual property, she stole my intellectual property, is that there are so, there's there's nothing new under the sun in the sense of ideas, right? So you might have an idea and somebody across the world is having the same idea. And maybe you guys approach it differently or maybe not so much, but basically elements are going to be the same. And this is not in any way a defense, but it is, it is difficult to try and then suss out whether something was unfairly taken or whether it was a coincidence. So basically, um, Mallory's publisher said that the plot points for this book, including that final twist, were already fully formed before the book by uh, Sarah A. Denzel, Saving April, before it was released. So if that's true, then this is really just an, a, one of those cases of nothing new under the sun. Of course, someone somewhere was going to pull the same kind of twist. It happens. But it just doesn't look good with the other allegations in the same light. So think what you will about it. I will say it's so tricky because I started writing this book, I think I was like 16 or 17 at the time, so it would have been a horrible book, but I started writing it, and it had this very unique concept, or what I thought was a unique concept, but turns out not so much, and even I thought the title was really good, which I'm never good at titling things, so that was exciting, and then I kind of like set it down and gave up on it for a few months, and then I was at the bookstore, and I walked by this book that had nearly an identical title, and I was like, ah, that's interesting, fine, I guess I'll have to change the title of my book, and then I picked up it up and read the back, and it was the exact same concept as mine. So it does happen. I definitely can't say that it doesn't happen. It just doesn't look good with all of the other allegations. So go check it out. It's a little, it's interesting. If you're into like the literary world controversy, it's definitely an interesting um, set of circumstances. So go check it out. Let me know what you think if you want to. Um, I'm definitely not going to say either way because I am not close enough to this whole situation. and have definitely not done enough independent research to say what I think is going on. But either way, very interesting information just a little bit more about Mallory, because I think that I've already shared with you guys the, the bits about him that the internet finds the most interesting, therefore the most accessible. But he was born in New York, and he moved to Charlotte, North Carolina with his family, which I've heard is beautiful. And that's where he attended Charlotte Latin School, so very fancy. And at Duke University, he majored in English, holla, English Lit Majors, for the win. And he also acted, which I also did that. So I, actually, I don't think that's that uncommon for English Lit Majors. Um, so that's really all that I got on Daniel Mallory, a.k.a. A.J. Finn. So now we're going to get into the book. Uh, So this is typically the part of the episode where I give this halting, kind of stammering, sort of, sort of, see, there you go, sort of summary of the book that we read. And... Kendall jumps in with all these, like, fun, witty ideas and observations and funny jokes, which I then repeat immediately. If you guys have heard me do it, because it's because I am trying to, like, burn that memory of that funny thing into my brain. Uh, So I tend to repeat her, I've noticed, um, especially listening back to our episodes, really noticed that I do this. So it is just because I love her so much. And she is so funny to me. So... See, now I'm sounding very creepy, which this like a very like thrillery sort of obsessive kind of way, which is very on theme for this book. But is not realistic of reality. Or is it? Kendall, I miss you. Anyways, so (laughs) the woman in the window, A.J. Finn. So first off, this book is written in a really interesting way where instead of chapters, it gives you dates. So like the first date in the book in where it would have like its own separate chapter page is Sunday, October twenty fourth. So that's when this all starts. So it's interesting to just track day by day how many days have passed, uh, which is actually really not that many for all of the plot that is packed into this book. So this is also going to be hard because there's no way that I'm going to hit every single plot point in this. Uh, but it was, it was man, I was on the edge of my seat this whole time. So basically, we open on this person, this woman. We don't know anything about her yet. We basically just see her kind of like creeping on her neighbors. Not kind of legitimately creeping on her neighbors through her window with her camera. So we know we get the sense I think that she's kind of into photography. I mean, I thought there would be more of that honestly because she's got this nice camera and stuff. And I guess she used to do it maybe more of maybe as more of a hobby or something. I just I expected to see more of her the photography aspect of her personality than we actually did in this. But um, all of that aside, anyways, so she's watching this house. She's kind of like made up stories about all of her neighbors' lives. And the first the first chapter or so is really just her, you know, basically drawing conclusions about these neighbors across the street and this person across the street. She's having an affair and she keeps. And so our main character, whose name we don't know yet, is like watching, kind of trying to her name is Dr. Anna Fox, by the way. So that's our main character anna fox she is a child psychologist or really a former child psychologist and she will make up stories about the neighbors like the ones that are having an affair is actually not a story but she keeps watching waiting for the husband to actually catch the wife so it's just weird to me that would stress the hell out of me but it's all she's just a little detached you get the sense she's she's she is she's just really detached from reality Uh, Very quickly, we realize that she is deeply agoraphobic, and it's been almost an entire year since she has left her house, like literally since she has left the building. Um, She keeps the lights very low. Uh, Pretty much her only interaction with people are her phone calls, her daily phone calls with her husband and daughter who do not live with her anymore and watching people. And then once a week, her physical therapist comes. All we know is that she is trying to recover from some physical injuries sustained in some kind of accident at this point. Uh, And then her, her own psychologist who she sees comes once a week and she discusses, named Dr. Fielding, and she discusses, you know, her experiences and her progress with that. Uh, So here's the thing about Dr. Anna Fox is um, she was a great child psychologist and now she's an alcoholic and also still probably a pretty good child psychologist, actually. She's a really great person. She's so sweet. She's so intelligent, but she's clearly being haunted by some kind of, not by ghosts. This is not a paranormal book, but she's clearly being haunted by something in her past that we very slowly are given the pieces of the picture to as the story goes on. Uh, so anyways, these new people move in across the street. Uh, their names are Alistair and Jane Russell and their son, Ethan. So so these become kind of her new fascination. I won't say obsession. She's not really obsessed with any of her neighbors. Um, she's just like super fascinated by them. It's be- Watching them has become her hobby far more than photography has. But anyways, one of these days, um, the teenager, the son, he's I think 15 or 16 years old. Uh, He shows up on her doorstep carrying, like, a candle, and she's like, hi, and he's like, hi, my mom wanted me to bring you this candle, and so she's like, come on in, and they sit, and they talk, and she introduces him to some black and white movies. I know they don't, like, watch the movies together, because that's a little creepy, but she basically says he can borrow any of them that she wants, and she sends him home with one. Also in her free time, she plays chess online, and she's got a chessboard in her living room, so she's really into chess, and she also basically gives people advice on this forum this online forum specifically for people struggling with agoraphobia so that's kind of cool uh and so while she's basically talking so she's got a couple regulars who talk to her and update her on their progress and stuff and she gives them advice and her advice is always really good she's clearly a really good psychologist and then um there's this new person who pops into her chat who says that they've been referred to her via um this other person on the chat who felt that they'd been really helped by Anna. And so this, uh, her name is Granny Lizzie. It's this very sweet old woman who, whose husband died and now she doesn't leave the house. So anyway, so she, she, basically Anna tells us a lot of her story through the chats that she has with Granny Lizzie on, um, I think that's her name on the forum. So we get a lot of the bits and pieces from there as well. Okay, so Halloween comes, uh, she basically turns up the lights, pretend she's not home because she can't open the door, so how, she could, how could she give kids candy? Um, her, her tenant, who lives in the basement downstairs, is not exactly friendly, so he's definitely not going to be any help. Uh, but basically, the house gets egged. I think that David the tenant is actually away at this point, um, so... Basically, she gets so upset by this attack on this home that has basically become her everything because it's all that she's has in her world, basically. Uh, so she actually does try to go outside to scare the kids away to get them to stop egging her house. And she collapses. She has a panic attack. She collapses. This is This is what has happened every time in the last year that she's tried to leave her home. It's why she no longer leaves her home at all. And somebody helps her up, gets her inside. But uh, Anna doesn't, you know, really even see who it is yet because the panic attack is so bad. So when she's inside on the couch, someone's talking to her. Things kind of come back into focus. And it is this woman, this woman with dark hair. She's got a dark braid. She is so sweet and funny and kind of bubbly and effervescent. Um, So basically Anna's like, this has got to be the, this has to be Jane Russell from across the street. This has got to be my new neighbor. And then, sure enough, she's like, "Yeah, I am Ethan's mom." And she shows Anna that she's got this locket uh, with a picture of Ethan in it from when he was like five years old. And they they just hit it off like crazy. So Anna and Jane are just getting along so well, and they play like several rounds of chess. They drink way too much alcohol. Anna shouldn't be drinking any alcohol, basically, on the quantities of medication that she is on. But she not only drinks, she drinks heavily. It's clearly a problem she's really struggling with. And while Jane is wonderful and definitely gives Anna a lot of, like, life and courage back in their time together and lots of encouragement, uh, she definitely doesn't help with the whole, like, alcohol thing because they drink tons of wine together. Jane is like chain smoking the whole evening, but they have a great time. And then she goes home. And then Anna's like, oh my god, I have a friend. I wonder if she or Ethan will come back. So things are looking up. And this is really the last time in the story when things look up. (laughs) Basically, she keeps watching through the window, right? Now she's really into the Russell's house because she she knows Jane and she knows Ethan. And they seem great. And uh, apparently Jane said that Alistair, so the husband, is pretty controlling. And then sure enough, after Jane had gone home that night, Alistair had come over and been like, was my wife here? And uh, she, was, she lied. Anna said no, no, she wasn't. Uh, because... Jane had told her that Alistair was controlling, so she did not want to be of any help in that area. And then later Alistair lies when he's talking to police, and this will come up very soon in the story, and says that he wasn't there looking for his wife, he was there looking for his son. So very different. But anyways, uh, to get to that, actually pretty much right away, she's watching through the window. She's very heavily medicated. She's very drunk. She's watching one of her scary movies, and she looks out the window and she sees Jane get stabbed. So she doesn't see who does it, but she sees the silver handle in Jane's chest. She sees her fall. She sees her trying to get up on the window and she locks eyes with her. And then Anna tries to run to her to get out the door to get across the street to her. But of course, she doesn't make it. She gets stuck in the park across the way. She can't get there. The panic overwhelms her. And then basically she wakes up at the hospital. So she's had a panic attack, um... She's also not doing great at the hospital. Pretty much as soon as she wakes up in the hospital, she starts to have another panic attack because she is agoraphobic and specifically to the point that she only is comfortable in her house, only in extremely familiar surroundings and not outside at all. So that doesn't go well. So they basically sedate her like crazy in the hospital. I also forgot to say she called the police and she didn't make a ton of sense on the phone, but she said, you guys need to get over here. And that's how the EMTs found her was because they were rushing to the scene because they'd been told on the phone that a woman was stabbed. So, Anna wakes up, and of course, the first thing she says is, "Where is Jane? Is Jane okay? Did you get to her? What happened?" And they're being really weird. There's this guy named Detective Little. He's this huge black dude. He's so sweet. I want to be best friends with little. I just want to like to give him a hug. He's just such a nice, pure, wonderful soul. And then there's his partner, norelli She is kind of a bitch, frankly. Um, but anyways, and then there's this nurse and they're all in the hospital and, and they have to sedate Anna further for her to converse with them without having more of a panic attack. And they basically say... Well, you're confused you're upset let's just get you back home and we can talk about this so they load her up they take her back it's a whole ordeal trying to get her back inside her house because they want to take her over to talk to the russells and she she freaks out no she just keeps asking for jane and then she says that you can bring them all over to my place for all i care basically but i'm not going to go have another panic attack somewhere else that i don't know so they go she goes back to her place the russells show up a minute later there's this new woman that she doesn't recognize with them and anna keeps going where is, where's Jane? And then basically they're like, this is Jane. And Alice is like, yeah, this is my wife, Jane Russell. This is a totally different woman than the Jane Russell that Anna knows, the one who came and played chess and got drunk with her and was basically her only friend for the first time in forever. Uh, So Ethan's there too. And Ethan's acting real shifty. He looks really scared. His eyes keep darting away. He can't make eye contact. Um, he's just mumbling under his breath and it seems really evident that he's afraid of his father and Alistair's very imposing. We don't know very much about him at this point, but he is obviously controlling and very imposing. So that's not that's not wonderful. So the detectives basically tell Anna that she's making it all up. Little is nicer about that. Little says, I think that you believe that you saw what you saw, but I think that it was a hallucination brought on by your condition and all of the medications and the fact that you were drinking the medications with alcohol, which is, you know, so you're not so not supposed to do that. Um, so that happens and it's crazy. Um, And then she gets this other bombshell dropped on her, which is that basically they say you have a history of inventing things and seeing things that aren't there. And Anna's like, what are you talking about? And they were like, basically, well, well, where is your husband and child, huh? And she's like, well, they don't, we're separated. They don't live with me. I talk to them every day on the phone. And then Little drops this bombshell. He goes, like, Anna, you're actually, I think it's Norelli that does it because she's a bitch about it. And she says, your husband and daughter are dead. So they've been dead forever, basically. Not forever, but they've been dead for the basically the last year. They're, at this point, we get the very vague just now and more details ongoing as she talks to Granny Lizzie on the online forum that they were in a horrible accident and that her husband Ed and her daughter Olivia had died. And even more gut-wrenching is that they had... I'll just give you guys the whole detail of that story now, is that... um. They went on this vacation about a year ago to New England in the winter. They were going to go skiing. Uh, we see that Ed and Anna are already kind of arguing and trying to hide it from Olivia. And basically, Anna has had an affair with her, the other psychologist in her office. And Ed found out. And so now, of course, Ed is... You guys can hear my dog shaking around in here. So now Ed is wants to separate, wants to divorce, I'm assuming. And he they haven't broken the news to Olivia yet that they'll be separating. And so Anna's like, just wait till after the vacation. And Ed's like, I just can't do it. And so they break it to her as soon as they get to this hotel. Okay. And this hotel is like up like this windy road. There's like drop off cliffs and the weather's not great already because it's so cold and there's supposed to be a snowstorm coming in. And basically Olivia gets so upset that she's like, I can't do this. I just want to go home, which is understandable. She's a child. So they all pile back in the car. They're going all the way back down because the person at the desk thought that they could beat the storm if they left right then. So they did. But the snowstorm hits. They're on the road. Um... Actually, sorry, the snowstorm hasn't hit yet. It's just getting worse. They're on the road and who should call or text Anna but the guy she's having an affair with? Ed sees it. Ed goes, do you want to answer? And Anna tries to snatch the phone from him and it falls on the floor and then she looks down at it. But then the second that she looks down is when there's this curve in the road and they basically go flying off of this cliff and they're stuck there. So basically they land, they're stuck um then the snowstorm hits so she drags their bodies out they're, they're both unco- they're all unconscious for about half an hour and then she drags them out ed and olivia don't really ever fully wake up but she's been monitoring monitoring their vitals and trying her best to keep them alive but it's like something like 33 hours like it's like all night and all day and all night and the morning or something like that before rescue finds them and at that point olivia is barely conscious ed has died, even though Anna thinks that she, that he's got to still be alive at this point. And Anna herself is so insanely injured. So it's horrible. But basically, now we kind of see where her problems really all started and why she is so messed up. So then will fast forward to a year later with all of the cops in the kitchen and with the Russells in the kitchen. And they're like, you made up that other Jane Russell. Nobody died. You made up what you saw. And so now all of a sudden, Anna's like, oh my God, did I? I mean, they're right. Of course, Ed and Olivia have died. Of course. But it's just so hard for her to grasp the concept that she might not be able to trust her own eyes, and it's different because Ed and Olivia, she doesn't hallucinate that she sees them, and she kind of knows that they're that they're dead. She just hears their voices and sometimes talks back to them, anyways. But she knows, like she never believes that they're still alive somewhere else. So that's a little bit different too, because she doesn't ever, she only ever really believes that the Jane Russell that they introduced her to. In that, in her house with the cops, is the real Jane. She thinks that's the the other woman that she met, and she never questions that that woman died. At least, never questions it until now. And then, it's just difficult. It's definitely a different situation, a different type of intense feeling that she has about that than she has about the Ed and Olivia hallucinations. So that's a bit of a red flag. But honestly, the way that uh, AJ Finn will say wrote this book was really masterful in the sense that I started to question it too which is exactly obviously the intention that Anna starts to question herself you start to question yourself and you're like well what's true anymore so basically Anna does not want to let this go but she questions herself whether she might actually have hallucinated or not she keeps watching the Russell's house through the camera Ethan's acting really weird really scared um, Jane, the woman, the, the apparently the quote unquote real Jane, she like stalks her to a coffee shop, which hooray, Anna got out of the house just to stalk her to the coffee shop down the street, but it's still progress. Um, she gets mad and she calls the cops and says that woman is harassing us. Alistair breaks into her home one night. This is very, very scary in my opinion. Breaks into her home. Okay. And he like is breaking wine bottles. She can hear glass. He grabs Anna by the throat and threatens her. And basically says that, uh, this is after Ethan has come over and she's basically, there was a whole snafu with David where Anna was kind of the worst and David just decided to just move out because things were getting too weird. This is, I'm kind of skipping towards the end of the book, but there is so much plot in there, you guys. Um, anyways, so... Ethan had... Basically, she gave him the key, and Alistair found out that she had given Ethan a key to her basement. And, she, and he says that um, Ethan should not be hanging around older women, and he basically threatens her and leaves. And at this point, Anna won't even call the cops to tell them what's going on. Um, because previously, I will also say that the cops came back another time because Anna woke up one day to an email in her account from, an, from the Gmail name Guess Who Anna... At gmail.com right and there was a picture of her asleep as if someone had been in her bedroom and took a picture right and so she called the cops of course she's like here proof proof that i am i'm being stalked now that something happened And then basically, they figure out that the picture is in her phone. So she must have taken the picture herself. And the email that like the email that's open on her computer, like from her own login, is guess who Anna. So they're like, you must have just made this yourself. And she's like, oh my god, did I? I have no memory of doing that. And I think, of course, that the whole night that she had with Jane Russell was hallucinated. And she finds the drawing, the drawing that Jane made her because the night that Jane came over, she like sketched out a picture of Anna and signed it Jane Russell. So she shows shows them the picture and they basically convince her that no, she drew that picture herself. So then she kind of like rewrites the night in her memory as if she was playing all those chess games against herself. as if she drew that picture herself and had the ink on her hands herself. So at this point, it's just, things are just wild. But anyways, fast forward a little bit. Alistair has threatened her. He has left. She won't call the cops now because she fully believes that they will not believe her anymore. Um, She gets to a really, really dark place. She starts kind of saying goodbye to people. Uh, She's clearly, she's really, she's starting to give up and it's, it's not good. Uh, She's even worse with her medication and her, um, and her wine than ever. And then she's looking through her phone and she finds this picture, this picture that her physical therapist, Bina, convinced her to take, I think um, or that was another conversation they had about her doing photography and taking pictures of pretty, you know, uh, pretty environments outside of her window. She took a picture of this pretty sunset on her street, basically, and she's looking back at it on her phone, and then she realizes that someone is visible. The reflection of someone is visible in the window in the picture, and it's her Jane Russell, the woman that she knows is Jane Russell, and then she knows she's not crazy. So then she, like, gets to brass tacks about this stuff. Like, she starts like, she's really scoping out the family. She's looking for more types of evidence. She knows now that, that things are, basically she's being made out to look crazy, but she's not. She starts, um, I think she actually stops taking her medication altogether, which is also not good, but she also stops drinking for, like, several days, which is awesome. And she's like, suddenly I feel so good. And I'm like, yeah, girl, I'm not surprised that suddenly you feel really good. Uh, it's not surprising that not being drunk for days on end and overdosing on medication because also she was self-medicating with her own medication so no bueno uh so anyway she's feeling really good she's feeling a lot of progress she's figuring things out she's kind of like putting together a picture of what might have happened with the Russells and basically she comes to this conclusion which is that based on one of her thrillers kind of inspires her to make the assumption that it's not so much that the first Jane was the real Jane It's that the second Jane, the one that she met when the cops came to her house, that's the real Jane. So the first one was an imposter. This whole time she's been assuming that the second Jane was the imposter. But now she figures maybe the first one was the imposter. So then she's got to figure out, okay, how, why, I've got to get to the bottom of this. So she basically convinces Ethan to come over one more time. He sneaks out, he comes over, he breaks down, he tells her the whole story. He says that the Jane that she met, her name is Katie. And there was uh basically this is where some of the confusion with her tenant also happened, was that she saw Katie Jane's earring from that night. She saw it down in David's stuff. And so she assumed, assumed that he had had something to do with it. So all of those accusations went crazy. And he was like, I wasn't with anyone named Jane. I was with someone named Catherine. Okay, now that makes sense. So poor David. His name is fully cleared, but I felt bad for him from the start because I assumed that was part of the confusion. But anyways, so Katie is Ethan's birth mother. He was adopted around the age of five. And basically in the recent months, Katie has been coming around to Jane and Alistair Russell's house and obviously Ethan's house too, being like, I just want to get to know my son. Just let me talk to my son. I brought some photos I want to show him. They keep rejecting her, turning her away. And then basically uh, she, she shows up one of these times when Ethan is there alone. Both parents are out of town. And so she actually gets into the house and she actually talks to him. And it's during that time that she's there, that she is out on the street and she sees Anna having a panic attack and she helps her inside. And that's when they met. And so that was Katie. So she never introduced herself as Jane Russell. Anna just assumed that she was Jane Russell. And Katie just kind of went with it because she wasn't supposed to be there from the start. So Ethan basically fesses up to all of that and then basically says that Katie refused to leave. And then Alistair got back and they got in a fight and he was trying to get her to leave. And then Jane, the mom, Ethan's adopted mother, stabbed Katie, the biological mother, out of a desire to protect her son. So all of that is crazy. It puts everything into perspective. Um, Anna's like, oh my god, it all makes sense now. And Ethan's like, please don't turn my parents into the police. They were trying to protect me. And then Anna's like, well, we have to tell the police, Ethan. And Ethan's like, just just give me until tomorrow because my dad told my mom that they need to go to the cops. And so this is this was a little confusing right here, too, because thus far we have only seen the implication that Alistair is really imposing and controlling But apparently he's afraid and now he wants to go to the cops about all this that went down. So that was, I felt like, a little bit interesting of an inconsistency. And I want to say that it's legitimized by the twist that happens later, but I still kind of feel like it isn't. But you guys can read the book if you haven't already and let me know what you think. Uh, But anyway, so the next day she calls Ethan. Ethan texts her and says that his parents have decided to go to the police So Anna goes to bed. She's like, hooray, this nightmare is finally almost over. People aren't going to think that I'm crazy anymore. She goes to bed, which I feel like is a bold move. I feel like I wouldn't have gone to bed if I were her. Like, what if the parents then want to, like, come back and kill her because... Ethan has just told them that Anna knows everything. And Anna's, like, kind of totally alone and has, like, there'd be no witnesses. She has very few people who would fight for her. So I was kind of freaking out about that. And Anna's like, eh, guess I'll go to bed. Which I would just, would I wouldn't have made that choice at all. But anyways, she wakes up at night, in the middle of the night, right? She's hearing Ed and Olivia's voices again. She's trying not to converse with them. But they're getting, it's kind of getting kind of creepy and sinister almost. And then she realizes that when Ethan had come over to basically give her all of the details about what really happened to Katie, AKA the original Jane, not so original Jane. Um, he basically, he asked about the cat's paw. And I didn't mention up until this point that Anna has a cat named punch. Punch is kind of an asshole, but uh, he's a cat. So what can you do anyway? So punch is really into Ethan. Like has really been all over him and stuff until recently. Um, but basically the last time that ethan came over punch kind of like slid away from him and the last couple days punch has been walking with a limp so she's like ah i need to get Punch to the vet how am i gonna do that because i'm agoraphobic and my tenant who was doing my outdoor chores for me now he's gone so punch is just kind of like walking around with his hurt pod ethan comes over and he's like how's punch's paw and then she realizes that punch wasn't like visible so he would have no way so then to herself out loud In the dark, in this bed, she's just woken up. She says, how did he know about your pa? And then this voice, this creepy ass voice out of the corner of the freaking room says, because I visit you at night. It's Ethan. So basically, I I feel like I should have seen this plot twist coming. This is the twist. Uh, that apparently is under controversy for potentially being from a different book, even though the publisher says, no, this was already set before that one was published. So whole thing. But anyways, I did not see this twist coming. Basically, Ethan is the bad dude. Ethan's the one who took the picture of her on her phone, who set up that email, guess who, Anna, to make it look like she logged in herself so that she would convince herself that she was crazy, that she had done all of this stuff to herself, that she had fabricated everything. So the truth is, Ethan is a child psychopath. So the reason they had to move so suddenly to this house, the Russell family, from their last house is that he became, quote unquote, too friendly with the a woman that Alistair worked with at his job. So he's got this like thing where he's like obsessed with older women and it never takes it to like a sexual place necessarily. There might be some like creepy implications a little bit in that way, but really he just has like, a, he wants to kill them is I feel like the overall vibe. That's how I read it. So I don't think the woman actually got hurt, but of course she was really freaked out that Ethan had been sneaking into her house at night and threatened her. And so it turns out that Ethan has been sneaking into her house. He stepped on Punch's paw. That's why he knew to ask about Punch's paws, because he'd stepped on it. He think he broke the cat he thinks that he broke the cat's foot. He doesn't care, by the way. He used to he grew up hurting animals. So basically He goes, I want you to analyze me, Anna. Like, I thought you were just fascinating from the second that I met you. I was just obsessed with you. He's totally different now. Everything up until now, the scaredness, the honesty, it's all been an act. And he basically says, I'm so surprised that you didn't see this. You're the first child psychologist to not diagnose me. Um, And she's just shocked right now. So he's like, go ahead, analyze me. He's got a letter opener, by the way, the same letter opener that he used to kill his biological mother, Katie. He basically says, I'll get back to the analyze me thing. But he basically tells her that the truth is that Katie wouldn't leave them alone. He was really annoyed with her. Then he was really bored of her. And he basically, he just, he stabbed her. He wanted to get rid of her. They were fighting. He came downstairs and stabbed her before Alistair could stop him. And Jane was out of town. The real Jane was out of town. So she came back and she didn't know about any of this going on. So Katie, his biological mother, basically who he was taken away from at the age of five. And he was adopted by the, by Alistair, Russell, and Jane Russell. Uh, when he was still living with Katie, basically she was she was addicted to drugs. It was bad. He saw one of her... One of Katie's best friends overdose and die right in front of him when he was four years old, which is extraordinarily traumatic. And Katie had all these boyfriends who used to beat the shit out of him. And it was horrible. And that's a quote from him is what he said. Um, but anyways, and the thing that he could not let go of is that Katie just never told him who his real father was. And he could never forgive Katie for not telling him who the real father was. And the only reason he basically hadn't killed Katie when she first came to visit him was because he was hoping that she would tell him who her, who his real father was. And of course she didn't. Apparently he says, I don't think she even knew. And basically he was just enjoying this kind of game of manipulating Anna. So now he goes, a child psychologist, analyze me. And she does because her life is on the line and she's actually a really good child psychologist. So she basically says you enjoy manipulating people. You hurt animals growing up. You have issues respecting other people's space. And he's like, yeah, I've been creepily coming into your house at night. Duh. She tries to tell him, like, listen, your parents love you. What happened to you when you were young wasn't your fault. He gets really mad at the whole therapist shtick right away, and he's like, yeah, enough of this, so I'm just gonna kill you now, basically. Uh, go Anna, though. She definitely does go, she definitely tries to go down fighting. She kicks him, she manages to, she kicks him in the stomach and then the face, she manages to get out into the hallway. And then it's this scary ass game of, we're in a very dark house, and it's very, very big and old. Oh, by the way, the house is gorgeous. And um, it's storming outside also, so she, even if she screams nobody can hear her and she's just like kind of like sneaking from room to room while he's looking for her and she can see in the dim light pretty well because she never turns the lights on it's always dark in there Uh, so she can see he doesn't see her until basically she accidentally makes a sound of course someone always makes a sound he sees her she manages to kind of evade him push him down the stairs but then he gets up and he's fine and so now her only way out is the roof and they're on the roof they had this they used to when ed was alive Had had this beautiful just garden up there and now it's like super overgrown and it's just crazy there's like a trellis tunnel type thing it's just it's out of control but she knows that um there's like a big pair of shears or something up there so she She manages to get up onto the roof. Uh, He almost, he almost pulls her back down because he grabs her ankle, but she kicks him off. He, of course, follows her onto the roof, but she reaches this big pair of, like, pruning shears first and waves it at him. And he, like, for the first time looks kind of uncertain, like, "Uh uh-oh, that's not going to turn out so great. But uh, basically, then he gets the upper hand again and knocks the shears away or whatever. And then she basically, like, psychologies him into being kind of placid for a moment she basically says actually katie did tell me about your father and ethan falls for this because this is really his one weak spot it's the thing that he's just the most mad about everything else has been kind of fun kind of a game to him right he's just mad was that the th- reason he was so mad with katie because he was just bored of her otherwise is that she wouldn't tell him who his father was and so she starts telling ethan these details about this man, her supposed the father that Katie told her about. And the details are so specific that Ethan is buying it. But you realize, based on things that we've already learned about Ed and Olivia, is that these are details about Ed. But basically, she's painting the picture of this really loving father. This father who just loved him so much, but he, just, he died, and so he couldn't be there for him. And so... Then Ethan, So then she just basically tells him, like, your parents loved you. And this time he kind of, like, takes it and she hugs him, which is shocking. Everything's fine. And he kind of hugs her back. And then there's this really fragile skylight that's kind of been, like, highlighted from the beginning of the book about, like, it kind of needs to be replaced because it's not very safe. And she basically manages to kind of, like, maneuver him onto it while they're hugging. And then she pushes him and he falls through the skylight. He falls down, looks kind of confused and just falls through the skylight. And that's that. So it's amazing. She basically, like, she gets to clear her name as far as they say, like, she's been making up lies for attention and stuff or just hallucinating. So the cops figure things out. That's great. Um, Ethan, I don't know what happens with Ethan. I'm guessing he probably goes to um, a mental hospital of some sort. Um, Yeah, Uh, Jane and Alistair are okay. Alistair is being tried for accessory to murder, I think. Um, Jane really didn't know much of anything at all, it turns out. So whoops, kind of feel bad for her, but basically after this, Anna is doing really well for the first time since we've ever seen her. She is not drinking at all anymore. Basically, the implication is that they hired this scary woman with tattoos to basically come live with her and keep her sober. And she's she's really funny. We only see a little bit from this woman, but she's very, very funny. So that's good. So Anna's not drinking at all. She's taking the medi- her medications the way she's supposed to. She's attending therapy the way she's supposed to. And although she still occasionally hears Ed and Olivia's voices, they're more like whispers, they don't, they, they, and she doesn't have full conversations with them anymore. And also, perhaps most impressively, is she's starting to go outside little by little. So Bina, her physical therapist, who's also kind of her friend, has been coming over, helping her get out into the garden, and things are finally looking up for Anna. Like You could definitely see this very open path for her finally to return to a more normal type of life, like a fulfilling, whole, full life. So really a great ending for a very stressful book. Um, I've been reading this book on the couch behind my husband while he's been gaming. And he he kept saying things to me. And you know when you're in like a really intense book and you're like, please just stop talking to me because I want to hear what you're saying. But honestly, I'm in a whole other zone right now. And my life is at stake, even though it's not. It's the character's life. But it still kind of feels like it's your life. So anyways, um, very intense. If you want a very intense read, this book will certainly be that for you. Hopefully that summary wasn't too scatterbrained for you guys. I did not have my spoons to keep me on track and to make funny observations per usual. So hopefully that was still somewhat entertaining, if not as funny as usual. Uh, so anyway, so this is the portion of the episode where do you guys like how I am not just doing the episode for you. I'm telling you what we do at the different parts of the episode. If you've ever asked, do they have a pattern? This is the pattern. And so now for the next part of our you know schedule of the episode is favorites and least favorite things. So my favorite character. Let's see. I mean, I think Dr. Anna Fox just because she's our main character so we get such insight into her head, but honorable mention for Katie because she is so vivacious when we see her. And so when we see her in the story, we she's only very brief because then she gets murdered, but she's so just full of life. She's gotten clean, so that's great. She's still chain smoking, which is not great, but she still just leaps and bounds and she just wants to reconnect with her son and she still manages to be this huge light in Anna's life even though she's only there for a day. So Katie, I just felt like was a really impressive character. Uh, least favorite character? I mean, for the whole book, my least favorite character was Alistair. And then at the end, Ethan's like, actually, no, he's just a weak man. A little bit weird. I just felt like Alistair's character was not really that well um, defined throughout the book. Maybe that's a critique of the writing as I felt like he wasn't um, really permanent, the type of character that he was. So because he seemed to kind of keep shifting. So anyways, I didn't. He would have been my least favorite, I guess. But in reality, it's Norelli, Detective Little's partner. Detective Norelli. She was horrible. She was bitchy and she was completely not compassionate at all and judgmental and basically told Anna not only that she was crazy, but said she was doing it for attention, which even if she were and she's not, why would you say that? How unprofessional. Anyways, so Norelli's bitchy and I didn't like her. So she's probably my least favorite. Ethan i mean it's just a cop out to call the villain the least favorite especially because he had such a twist at the end but he was definitely fascinating I think favorite part, this is also going to seem like a cop out, but I really like when things start to go well for Anna at the very end of the book, when like you get to see things finally looking up because this book is really heavy and dark and it so often feels like you're trapped in this maze and there's no way out. And Anna even says that too, But not, and that feeling is really conveyed as a reader in the story when you're reading it. Um, so at the end, when she like got out the other side, even though it was just a little brief portion, I think that was my favorite because it was just so satisfying. Um, least favorite part, I think when basically Norelli told her completely without any care at all that her child was dead. Um, that her husband and child were dead. Or, I mean, it, it might also honestly be when we found out about her having an affair. I feel like it didn't have to. I felt like that didn't come really around thematically again. And I kind of expected something like that too for some reason. It felt kind of like it was like, a string that was not like totally tied up or something at the end so I don't know I mean I don't think that I I know I know it's because it was supposed to make her feel more guilty than ever that this whole thing started because she had been having an affair but I feel like it didn't have to be that I felt like there could have been something else so I don't know anyways I didn't I didn't like that part but it's not that part's not really a critique of the writing I guess I don't know as far as favorite quotes go, there were a, there was a couple like really potent different ones. I will just read one of the ones that really stood out to me because I think it's one that um, probably a lot of us can relate to the idea of or the feeling of. And I think it's I don't know I think it's just it's something like inherent in in most of us humans who who inherently fight for survival even when life sucks and you're like oh life sucks I just don't want to do this anymore um, and then you realize how hard that you will actually fight to keep what you have. Um, which is just like such a human uh, paradox. And I feel like it's really well contained in this line. So the quote is, I was fighting for my life, so I must not want to die. And if I don't want to die, I've got to start living. <laughs> I just think it's a, a good quote. It's just a, it's just so human. The whole concept is just so very human. So I guess I'd call that one my favorite quote for this book. As far as Pinky's Up go for this book, I'm actually going to surprise myself and go with my gut and I think I want to give it 3.75 pinkies up. Uh, it's really hard for me to pinpoint why exactly I don't want to give it a higher pinkies up rating because I was fully engaged in it. I mean, 3.75 I think is still pretty high, but I guess I was so engaged in it that maybe, I don't know. I just, I I just don't think it's quite a four pinkies up book. I think I had some questions about theme and character that just didn't feel fully consistent. So the writing style just got me. It might also be that this is not really my typical genre as much, but yeah, I'm going to stick with 3.75 pinkies up and I wonder, I wonder what Spoons would give it. Spoons, what do you think? <laughs> what if I just suddenly heard a voice answer me? <laughs> Ooh, that's scary. All right. So that's all we've got for this book. But next week, we will be reading Jude the Obscure by Thomas Hardy. So this was a book rec from one of the listeners. So hooray. Thank you guys. We love our book wrecks. We do add them to the list. We're working on our season four list right now, which is actually coming up really fast. We only have a few more reads in this season, you guys, and then we'll take our hiatus week and then we will be all the way in season four, which is awesome. So send in your book wrecks now. We are going to fill up very soon for season four. But if you guys also just want to chat about books, that's fine too. You can follow us on social media. We are that Pretentious Book Club. We are on Instagram. We are on TikTok. You can also check out our website, StorySirensStudio.com. It's our production company. We've got all kinds of merch there. We have Story Sirens merch. We have That Pretentious Book Club merch. Go check it out. That is a great way to not just support the pod, but rep the pod and grow the club. And we always want to grow the club. Because the more the club grows, the more cool stuff we can do for you guys. Uh, You can also support us on Patreon. Uh, It's, again, Story Siren Studio. There's a couple different tiers that you guys can check out and join. But basically, there are bonus episodes on there. There's exclusive video content, like book recipes, drinks that we've tried before. um, Just lots of fun stuff on there. Um, If there is something that you guys specifically want us to do and put on Patreon or on social media please reach out. Please let us know. We want to give you guys what you want. And so that's why getting these reviews has been so helpful to see what it is that you guys like and what it is that you want more of or less of, or if we need to just kind of change the way we do things to really suit you guys better. We want to do all of all of those things for you. So thank you guys for talking to us. Please don't stop. Uh, we love the reviews. We love the stars. Thank you guys for all of the sweet ratings. It's seriously so, so appreciated. Um, and then, of course, you can contact us, by DM or email. You can email contact at or you can message that pretentious book club on Instagram or on TikTok. We do check every single day. We will try to get back to you as soon as possible, be it about a book break, or you just want to talk about a specific book. Or you're just like, hey, what you said was hilarious, Ash. Or if you just want to be like, hey, what you said is insane, Ash. Or if you want to be like, hey, Ash, stop referring to yourself as Ash. We know you as Weezy. Or like, hey, stop talking so much. Hey, bring back spoons. Hey, maybe Spoon should do the podcast by herself, and Ash should just get on out of here. I want to hear at all I won't be offended at least not too offended so check it out go follow us message us we want to hear from you I think that's all I've got for you guys this week so thank you guys for uh, joining me for this very different episode hopefully it wasn't a total turnoff for you guys but we'll see you guys next week and until then keep your teacups full your pinkies high and your book club pretentious